This message is presented to you by Pastor James Moore and New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. You know, when I was growing up, our family lived in the western part of the United States, mostly in the Rocky Mountain states. And when school was out for the summer vacation, however, I would often visit my grandparents who lived in northeast Missouri, a little town called Lewistown in northeast Missouri. And they, uh, my grandparents were strong Christians who uh, attended the Assembly of God Church. And so naturally, I would attend with them. And I'm so grateful for the exposure that I had to true Christianity from people who I met through that church. And uh, anyway, it seemed that a message heard often in those days was, Jesus is coming. He's coming back. Like a thief in the night, he will return when you least expect him. He'll come in the twinkling of an eye. That's fast. With the sound of the trumpet. Be ready. Jesus is coming. Well, also during those years, I would attend with my cousins a summer camp. There was a church camp uh, in Troy, Missouri, a week-long youth camp at the campground near Troy, Missouri. And we had so much fun playing sports and swimming and running around the campgrounds with kids from other churches. And, of course, every evening, every evening there would, uh, after supper, there would be, that's what we had, we had supper. Every evening after supper, there was a church service where we would sing. Now, we, we know about these because our youth here just went to a camp just, uh, what, two weeks ago? Last week, whatever it was, and spent some time there. So anyway, we would go there. They would play some really cool youth-oriented Christian songs and that, that we never got to sing in church. And then whoever the camp speaker was for the week would preach about Jesus with the hope that kids would accept Christ. Now, to be completely honest with you, I must confess, I don't remember anything that was preached. I can't remember anything that happened in any of those church services, except one, one night, one Friday night. We'd finished our singing time, and the camp evangelist was preaching, and he was preaching about, can you guess, the end of time. And he said, Jesus is coming like a thief in the night. No one knows the hour, no one knows the day, but when it happens, if you're not ready, you'll be left behind to go through the great tribulation, the horrors of the great tribulation, rivers will turn to blood, friends, and locusts will have the power to sting like scorpions, and they will cover the sky, and they will sting you, and you will swell up as you would with a scorpion sting, but you won't die. You want to die, but you can't die. Oh, it's going to be horrible. Okay. Now, as I said, as I said, I was used to hearing this kind of preaching, and I knew it was from the Bible. It, it, and I didn't doubt that the evangelist, what he said, I didn't doubt it was true. But this was the final night of camp, and I had other things on my mind. I liked this really cute girl I was trying to impress. 
And I was also thinking about how much fun me and my buddies were going to have when the service was over. And then, bang! The doors of the chapel burst open and two camp counselors came running down the aisle and they were wailing and they were crying real tears. They had newspapers in their hands and the headline on the front page said, Christ returns, millions are missing around the world. See, they were trying to make us believe that the rapture had happened and that we had been left behind. Of course, the newspapers, yeah, there it is, yeah, it's just exactly what they had. I mean, the newspapers were, were phony and uh, not real, and the whole thing had been staged in an effort to shock us into realizing our need for Christ. <laughs> and, and it was pretty effective. <laughs> I mean... We didn't have cell phones and be able to, this was new, this is the news. And for a moment, you know, we thought it was all real. I, I can still remember the fear that grabbed me when I thought that Jesus had come back for his people and I had been left behind. That little charade made a real impression. And, and, and it instilled a holy fear in me. I, I remember how I began looking for the Lord to return at any moment. I can't tell you how many nights I laid in my bed afraid, imagining I could hear the sound of trumpets and thinking I'd missed the rapture. Well, you know, the, the cry of Jesus is coming Seldom heard in church today. In fact, I, I, it's, it's been a long, long time since I heard a message on the coming of the Lord. And consequently, I don't see very many people who are expecting the Lord to come back soon. For, for most people, it's not even on their radar. Now, and if the subject does happen to be brought up, the, the modern mindset among many Christians is, Hey, hey, we've been hearing about Jesus coming back for years now. Everything just continues on as it has. The Apostle Paul, he thought Jesus was coming back in his lifetime. And yet, here we are, thousands of years later. And besides, there are so many prophecies that have to be fulfilled before he returns. We just need to relax. We don't need to be concerned about Jesus coming back for a long, long time. Well, did you know that the Bible gives an actual warning about this kind of thinking? Peter said that in the last days, we should expect people to mock the message of Christ's return. In 2 Peter 3, he writes, in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has from the beginning of creation. Now, I believe the reason God has laid today's message on my heart is that as we look around today, we find we have one 
those who are ignorant of the fact that Jesus is coming back, and two, those who are aware of his second coming, but they're convinced it's a long way off. And three, we have those who believe Jesus is coming back, but they don't want to hear anything about it because the thought of him returning unexpectedly fills them with fear and dread. See, for them, the idea of having to face a day of judgment is so terrifying that they do everything they can to block it out of their minds. Why? Because they know that Jesus would not approve of the life they're living. I mean, even as a professing Christian, you know if you're holding on to a favorite sin, you don't really want anything to do with this message of Christ's return, do you? I mean, the idea of Jesus coming to judge, that is the most frightening thought a sinner can possibly have. So what do sinners do? They mock and ridicule the whole idea of having to stand before God and give an account for their lustful life. See, I believe this is what St. Peter was talking about in the scripture we just read. He says, you see, the thing that's behind all this flippancy and all this unwillingness to take the coming of Christ seriously, what's behind it is actually a mocking of God's law, a hatred for the Bible, a contempt for the gospel. I submit that it is this mockery of God's law that's the real cause behind all the lawlessness, the flaunting of sin, the lack of power in the church. See, the message the mockers are preaching today is, relax, chill out. Christ isn't coming. There's not actually a day of reckoning. And even if there is, it's not going to happen in our lifetimes. So stop worrying about Judgment Day. And just as Peter prophesied, these mockers, they're alive today. And you may think that they're mocking the laws of the land, but they're actually mocking the laws of God. Oh, they don't come right out and say that, but you can see it in their push to deny human biology. In the breakdown of the institution of marriage between a man and a woman. In their Willingness to not only accept, but actually celebrate perversion. And if you look at this through spiritual eyes, you'll see that their focus is not to attack the Constitution of the United States as much as it is to attack God's Word. And some of these mockers, man, they're in high places. You'll find them voting in Congress. You'll find them ruling 
in high court. You'll find them broadcasting on news outlets. You will find them teaching in colleges and schools and seminaries. Some are even presiding over religious denominations. And do you know the saddest, the saddest consequence of this rampant lawlessness is that people are plagued with a willful blindness. I said, you can hear these mockers. You can almost hear them saying, calm down, calm down, stop worrying. The sun's going to come up right on schedule tomorrow. And the seasons are going to come. The seasons are going to go. Nothing we've been warned about in the past has ever happened. So why should we be concerned now? Come on. Lighten up. Indulge a little. Enjoy yourself. You need to just chill out and do what makes you happy. Everything is continuing as it always has. Man, you have to be really young or incredibly naive or willfully blind to come to the conclusion that things are continuing as they always have. Are your eyes open? We just came out of a once-in-a-lifetime, two-year-long worldwide health pandemic. With Russia on the offensive, our world's facing the possibility of a nuclear attack, maybe a world war. In America, we're experiencing the highest inflation in 40 years with a very real threat of an economic recession. Crime is rising across our nation, men at an alarming rate. Criminals in major cities are not being prosecuted. Repeat offenders are often released back on the streets. Things are continuing as they always have. But by the way, as these things are happening, there's also a mighty, listen, there's a mighty unseen power at work. In the earth. It's a power that no person can evade, no person can ignore. And you know what power I'm talking about, don't you? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. Who's the, you know who that is? He's Christ's administrator on the earth. He was sent to empower the righteous. He was sent to convict the world of sin and unrighteousness. He was sent to warn of coming judgment. And he, I can promise you, is not going to give up on his assignment. Because our Lord, our wonderful Lord, is patient toward sinners. Not wanting any person to perish. Therefore, in his great mercy, God is delaying Christ's return, giving opportunity for even the vilest, most wretched sinner to repent. See, that's why you can mock the Holy Spirit. You can try to shake him off. 
<laughs> but he's going to come again and again and again, convicting of sin and revealing the truth of Jesus Christ. Scripture says in the last days, the Spirit will be poured out on the earth. And this already happened at Pentecost. And now at the closing of the age, did you catch that? At the closing of the age, the Holy Spirit is making a final midnight cry. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Islamists and Hindus are hearing this cry. Atheists will hear it. Every sinner, every saint, every Jew, every Gentile on earth will hear that Jesus is coming. It will be proclaimed to the nations. Now some of you may ask, well, Pastor, just what kind of coming of the Lord are you talking about? Are you talking about a, uh, a secret rapture? Are you talking about a pre-tribulation return or a mid-trib or a post-trib or a New York Tribune? <laughs> or do you mean Jesus will come at the very end of time? Pastor, oh. Just to make sure we all understand it, God's Word said there's a period coming known as the Great Tribulation that will last for seven years and include terror and chaos like the world has never seen. And there, were some, there will be some Christians who believe, or there are some right now, who believe that Jesus will suddenly evacuate his followers from the earth at the beginning of the Tribulation in what is called a rapture, a catching away. Others teach that Christ will come midway through the seven-year tribulation. Others believe Jesus will come at the end of the seven years. Still others believe that Jesus won't come back until the very end of all things. And I want to tell you that there are respected scholars in each of these camps. There is one thing, however, that every Bible-believing Christian can agree on. Jesus himself says that no person knows the hour of his coming, not even the angels. So what does the devil do? He comes along and plants a wicked lie into the ears of multitudes of God's people saying, hey, hey, Christ's coming, it's been delayed. Relax. But you want to know something? <laughs> For the true lover of Jesus Christ, the timing of his return is really not an issue. I mean, really? Can you, and do you know why? Can you guess why? Because the followers of Jesus, the true followers of Christ, they're ready to go anytime. Whether through a sudden rapture or the middle of the tribulation or the end, they trust that the same Jesus who carries them through each and every day will see them through any and all things. Nevertheless, we live in constant expectancy of his return. Matthew 24. Jesus tells a parable to his disciples about being ready. 
he said this to his disciples. He said, you also must be ready at all, all the time. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. Who is a faithful, sensible servant to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his household and feeding his family? Who is that? If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I assure you, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. Jesus continues, and he says, But if the servant is evil and thinks, My master won't be back for a while, and begins oppressing the other servants, partying, getting drunk, well, the master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will, listen, he will tear the servant apart and banish him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, note, Jesus is speaking about servants here. He's speaking to believers. He's telling this to the 12 apostles, to us. In the parable, both both are servants. One is called faithful, a faithful servant. One's called evil. But they're both servants. And it's interesting to learn why God considers the one servant evil. According to Jesus, it's something the servant... Can you put that scripture back up here again? You sleep, that's right there. It, what makes this one called evil, evil in, Jesus, in, in God's eyes, is that it's a, something the servant thinks. If the servant is evil and thinks, it's something he thinks. Oh, he doesn't voice such a thought. No, no, no. And he certainly doesn't preach it, but he does think it. He has sold himself on the lie that says Jesus won't be back for a while. Notice he doesn't say, my master is not coming back. No, he doesn't say that. Instead, he says, my master won't be back for a while. In other words... The lie is, Jesus is not going to be coming back in my generation. Well, it's clear that this evil servant actually is a a type of believer, possibly even someone in ministry. Because this believer has been commanded. This is one who's been commanded to watch and be ready. For the Son of Man will come when least expected. But what does the servant do? He eases his conscience by accepting the devil's lie. Because the truth of the matter is, when a servant is convinced that the Lord won't be back for a while, it takes away, you know, the immediate need, the pressure to live a righteous life. Makes it easier to excuse sin. I mean, he's not really compelled to make peace with his fellow servants. He doesn't put a whole lot of energy into preserving unity in his home or at work or at church. It's no big deal if he fights with his fellow servants sometimes or accuses them or holds grudges or even destroys their reputations. He's not coming, Jesus ain't coming back for a while. It's okay. 
The servant is driven by his lust. He's following his own evil desires. He wants to live in two worlds. He wants to indulge in sinful living while holding on to the belief that he's still safe from judgment. And by, by, while, while we're on this subject today, let's take a quick look at what the Apostle Paul says about the second coming of Christ. Just real quick, it's just two quick passages. First Romans 13, 11, and 12, Paul says, The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. And the second scripture is Philippians 4, 5, where Paul writes, Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. What's Paul saying? He's saying, wake up! It's past midnight already. It's getting close to the time of the Lord's coming. Get ready. Don't be slothful. Jesus is coming only for the ones who are expecting him. And this brings me to the, to the heart of the message today. In Revelation, Jesus announces, Jesus, the Son of God, says, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. And then just five verses later, Christ says again, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Yeah, he's coming back. There's just one single unresolved matter that's holding up that glorious event. Second Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Notice, it is a promise. I'm coming back. He's not slow in keeping that promise, as some understand slowness. The Lord, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, we, we see here that it's the Lord's merciful patience. That's what's dictating the timing of his return. But he's not going to wait forever. He is coming back. And the Bible says it will be at a time when you least expect it. And like I said, nobody's preaching about this anymore. Nobody's talking about this. Nobody's thinking about this. We've got a world that's so wonderful, we don't want to leave. Could that be a curse? We think it's a blessing. You understand, don't you, that people are moving towards Christ, coming to salvation in unbelievable numbers in other nations, not here. If it takes having a horrible world 
to bring people to Christ, then bring on the horrible world. But in addition to us praying for his return, which we should do, we must all do all we can to reach our unprepared family members, our unprepared friends, so they too will be ready. Are you? Here's the question. Are you praying for them to realize their need of salvation? Are you praying for your unsaved loved ones? Do you have a list written down somewhere that you look at and you pray over regularly? You say, I've been praying for those people for so long. Nothing's happened. I'm just tired of praying. No sense. I'm going to pray for some different people. You just give up on them? Just say, let them go to hell. I don't like them anyway. I mean, what's your attitude? Listen, I, you need to go home. If you haven't done, go home and write down the names of everybody you know on a first-name basis that doesn't know Jesus Christ. And pray for them every day. You say, that's going to take a long time. Ah, maybe. I wouldn't waste all that time just to keep somebody from going to hell forever. Hey, man, come on, come on, come on. You know, just, just right now, oh, God. You don't know how many times, how many people's names I call out in prayer. Maybe I don't see a big, long prayer about everybody, but I mention their name to the Lord who are lost. By the way, you'd be amazed how many of you, because I pray for all of you by name. I do have a list of all the people who go to church here, and I pray for you. I pray for you. Even if you're doing great, I still pray for you because I want you to keep doing great. But we need to have a passion. Prayer opens the doors. That's what we know that God could do it without us, but he wants us to be involved. So he wants us to pray, and the Holy Spirit brings to memory the things that they've been told. But this also means not only have I, am I praying for them, I have to have told them. I have to have told them what Christ has done for me and how they too can be ready for his return. You've got to tell them. That's why I'm doing this class it's coming up next Sunday night to try to give some ideas, some help, to give us confidence so we can speak to people who we care about, but we don't know how to do it without turning them off or something. We've got to reach them. They've got to know the truth and have an opportunity. They may not take the opportunity, but they must have that opportunity. Okay, here's my conclusion. Just for a moment, let's set aside the doctrines about Christ coming and just simply consider this. If you truly love Jesus, shouldn't the thought of his returning be the greatest thrill imaginable? I mean, if you love somebody, 
You truly love somebody. You want to be near them, don't you? Try to convince somebody how much you love them when you don't want to be around them. See, tell me how that works out for you. If you can make them believe that. No, the Bible refers to Christ's followers as his bride. Think of it. We each are part of the bride of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what it will be like for Jesus himself to look into your eyes and call your name? What it'll be like to know that he wants you, you, you with him forever. You, not just everybody, no, you. Just imagine a newly married couple who has all of a sudden had, the husband gets called away for a long period of time, you know, maybe uh, like in the military or some extended business venture. And he tells his wife, he said, Sweetheart, I'll be back, but you, I can't tell you exactly when. But while I'm gone, you can contact me at this address. And so, for the first few months, that bride writes to her husband every single day with beautiful love letters. And yet, in those love letters, not once does she say this line, I miss you so much, please hurry back. Not once. And, but as time goes on, you know, two, two, two years pass, then five, then ten. And she still writes him, but not every day anymore. And, and never does she say, I'm begging you, please come back. I need to feel your touch. I need to see your face. I mean, she still writes. But never does she say, I want you to come back soon. I miss you. She never says it. Is it possible that this is a picture of the church today? Does it describe you? And me? As his bride, his chosen, his bride, are we anxious for his return? Or are we so infatuated with the world we live in that we're not really faithful? When was the last time you prayed, Lord Jesus, please, come soon. Come soon. Will you bow for prayer? Lord, forgive us for being so distracted by life. Forgive us for allowing ourselves to be seduced by this world.
Please renew a right spirit within us. Restore our passion and our desire for you. May our minds and hearts be so overwhelmed with your love that we truly begin to miss you, that we truly want to be with you. May we hear you say, yes, I am coming soon. And may we respond honestly and passionately. Amen. May it be so. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.